The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Welcome to Eon, man. Yeah. Super excited to have you guys on. We're excited, man. Dude, you you guys both have very impressive resumes. Eon, you know, it's, you guys just raised a bunch of money. And I was reading some articles on your LinkedIn page. Was there another iteration of Eon previous with a different name that was a mobile app for what you guys are doing? The Nodule Project. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. That's how this all started back in like 2014, 2015. It was the Nodule Project. And then Christine... That was smart enough to have us rebrand. So, well, let me do a quick intro for everybody tuning in. So, Aki, you're a pulmonologist. Did I pronounce that correctly? Interventional pulmonologist. Interventional, inter- <laughs> man, what a tongue twister. Pulmonologist, interventional <laughs> pulmonologist. Yeah, lung doctor. Um, yeah, saving lives from lung cancer. That's right. And so, you know, man, you're credent. I've gone through your LinkedIn profile. It take me like an hour to tell everybody everything you've done from like a clinical perspective. It's mind blowing, and all the schooling you've had. Oh my God, God bless you, man. Christine, you've been a, a serial entrepreneur. Started your first business in the second grade. Yep. Um, how, how did you? How did you guys connect? I know y'all met. Was it like a patient? Like what was that? Tell me how you guys met. So I was actually working for uh, what it was a startup purchased by Covidian, purchased by Medtronic uh, back in 2013, 2014, and selling a procedure for lung doctors called navigational bronchoscopy. And I met Aki. He was one of my clients and he was actually really forward thinking, understood the value to patients and his communities and put a lot of focus on a stage shift in lung cancer, which was really different than uh, not that other folks weren't trying to solve for earlier detection of lung cancer, but he just had a different approach that actually is what led us to Eon. So that's how we got to know each other. We worked really well together. He tried to squeeze me for everything. He, you can do that. You can get that to me for free. I was like, I can't do that. How am I going to do that? <laughs> but no, so that's that was the start of uh, our partnership and how we got to know each other. That's really cool. Um, so anybody watching this, you probably see the headline if you're watching this right now because it's pre-recorded. But um, Aki and Christine started a healthcare software company called Eon, and they found themselves on the Inc. 5000 list of one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. And they had an astounding growth rate. I mean, just absolutely insane growth rate, like freaking unbelievable. I interview a lot of people on the 500 list and um, their growth was absolutely insane north of 3000 percent and um and you guys ended up on the list at 120 something 128 128 oh man that's incredible and so you guys didn't start this very long ago and you're in over was it 400 hospitals i read yeah like 437 hospitals wow yeah that's impressive so, you know, there's a lot of people watching this that are in the software world and they're going to be wondering, like, what, what did you do to, I mean, grow that fast? 
it didn't start that way. I mean, you know, it started with one hospital that was like a critical access hospital. And then our second hospital ended up being the Cleveland Clinic. So it was like two dramatically different environments in which we got to battle test our solution. And then you just get punched in the gut. And, you know, it's a snowball that just keeps growing. How did you get those first two on board? Who gave the sales pitch? What was the secret to getting them on board when you had, you know, when your product was like the MVP? It it definitely was an MVP. It was um, a lot of passion and energy. You know, Aki is an interventional pulmonologist. He spent a lot of time early in his career going to societal meetings. You know, you would read all the white papers, right? Of the thought leaders, the, the people who would be up on the podium and, you would get to know them, right? Sat in the front row. I read everything that whoever the speaker, like every article that they had ever written and, you know, just listened. And if I had a real question, I'd ask a real question and started to interact with folks who, you know, could potentially uh, partner with this, you know, with what we were creating. And so eventually, you know, we did get some yeses uh, from some of those early relationships that were cultivated that way. I would definitely say, though, the enthusiasm and the passion behind what we are doing is what got people to buy in early on. I mean, the Cleveland Clinic doesn't just, you know, take a risk on everybody. Uh, And so I think by building that relationship with some of the physicians there was what really allowed us to get in the door, uh, especially early on. You know, from a marketer's perspective, on your website, you have this call to action. It says increase EBITDA. Capturing incidental findings is the number one way to boost EBITDA. Yeah. I mean, there's not many companies out there that can save lives and boost EBITDA. That's a pretty amazing call to action. It's a, it's a trifecta, really. Like, so it's, like, to, to help patients, right? <clears throat> healthcare is a business. And you have to come to that reality that it's a business. And you have to find a solution that not only helps patients, but it also makes healthcare money or save money. And then in addition, if you can help with operational savings as well, or bring value there, then you have a trifecta in terms of your solution that you're pitching, you know, to, to our clients or hospitals. So, you know, that, that's really what our pitch is. And then it's been proven. And once you prove it, you know, it's pretty, it's, it gets easier to sell. Well, hold on, let's back up. There's a lot of people wondering what is Eon? What is this software? You're, you know, you specialize in the respiratory system, you know, talk about the merging of these things, what the software does and, you know, speak to us, especially me, speak to me like a layman, like I don't know anything. Horse. I'm going to talk about falling off a horse. <laughs> so they make fun of it. I used to work. So uh, I got out of uh, uh, my fellowship and I took a job in a rural area. And so I always have this story of somebody who fell off their horse or their ATP and goes to the ED. And the first thing that they're going to do is do a CT scan or a chest x-ray to see if you broke your ribs because you fell off your horse. Well, guess what? They can find other things than cracked ribs. They can find a pulmonary nodule, which is an abnormality. They can find other- It's a spot on the lung. A spot on the lung. You have an abnormality. Well, guess what? You don't need to have that treated in the ED. You can't even treat that in the ED. What's ED stand for? Emergency department. Okay. So so like the emergency room. Department, right? Okay. ER. ER. Yeah. You have yeah. an emergency room. There's things that don't need immediate action. Maybe it needs action or something to be done in three months, six months, 12 months, two years down the line. <clears throat> yeah. 
that only happens about 30% of the time, the right thing, if you find something that's outside of what you were initially looking for. Can I jump in? Well, let me, I have a quick, I have to pause you before I forget this. So what you're saying is if you go into the hospital for something, like you said, falling off a horse, they do the CT scan, they're looking for the broken rib, but they might find a bunch of other stuff. That's and right. What you're saying is they should probably be recording that, those findings. Yeah, right? so they do record them. So oh, they do. Oh, it's, it's, this is like an SOP for the hospital. Record everything wrong with you, even if it's just the broken bone you came in for. So they record it. So what happens? So there's a doctor called a radiologist that looks at that picture of your chest. And they're the ones who says, okay, there's not a broken bone. There's a spot on the lung, maybe a few other things. So that gets recorded in that patient's record under that exam. But what doesn't happen then is communication from the hospital to that patient or to that patient's uh, primary care doctor. So there's this breakdown that begins to happen as soon as that patient leaves the emergency room or the imaging facility. That's where that 70% of those patients don't get the adequate next follow-up because nobody really knows. Or let's say you fall off your horse and you have a spot on your lung and your doctor's like, eh, you're young, you don't smoke, you probably don't have cancer, don't worry. When in reality, you probably need to have a 12-month follow-up exam just to make sure that that spot hasn't changed or to make sure that it goes away. So are y'all integrating that, like that, those notes, for example, into the, is it called ERC that the, the primary physician uses? So that's an EHR. So that's EHR. the hospitals and the doctor's right. medical records, yeah. electronic health, electronic health. We won't use okay. letters anymore. Yeah. So okay. yeah, my you, you have reports, right? Uh -huh. You get a packet of reports when you leave uh -huh. an emergency room or you uh -huh. leave a doctor's visit or you go yeah. get any type of test. There's yeah. a report. Eon yeah. analyzes those reports and makes a prediction of whether there or not there's an abnormality. And then we make another prediction onto, okay, you have that abnormality, what should you do next? And then we overlay marketing interventions to make your primary care doctor and you have the desired behavior. And that behavior is that they order the right test for you, that you have competency of what that abnormality means, the importance of what that next step is, and that you actually show up for your next step. That's not happening in current state without Eon. We make that happen for hospitals. Wow. So your software integrates with the main piece of software the hospital uses, and then your software has, what is it, natural, forgot what that term is, natural reading or whatever the technical Computational term is. linguistics. Okay. So it's a, it's a subset of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. and linguistics is a, is a discipline within artificial intelligence, and that is natural language processing, yep, um, NLU, it. natural language understanding. Mm -hmm. That's a real rudimentary way of text scraping and looking mm -hmm. at some type of free text and trying to identify a key word. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work in hospital settings. In clinical settings where it's complex, the medical ontologies, which is just a, a fancy way of saying the way it all comes together to form a prediction for a patient, it doesn't work on that. So computational linguistics is actually a discipline that can interpret the text similar to how the human brain does. So you're able to tell not only is there this positive finding, but we also know that it's in the right upper lobe of the, of the lung, that it has these certain characteristics, the size of it. And we extract all of that out from the report that then can predict what happens next for that patient. So Chris, here's a report, right? And if, I, if I'm looking at your report, let's say you went and got a report, I'm going to have two human beings 
read this report to determine whether or not you have an abnormality. And, and the, the rate of, of having two human beings say, okay, yes, he has that abnormality, great, now you read it. Is it truly an abnormality? Yes. Our system is doing that automatically and has the precision and accuracy of two human beings overreading every one of your reports for a positive finding. Okay. And then on top of that, we predict what should happen next and make sure that it actually happens. So you've been in the medical field for a long time. And Christine, you've been in, uh, you're an entrepreneur and you were also in the medical field. How, like, how did you guys oversee the product development side of this? Mm-hmm, like, how did, are question. you guys in, like, when you all do software as a side hustle or? <laughs> yeah, we partnered up with, so it's funny because like uh, every Saturday we'd, I'd wake up and email a bunch of billionaires and, you know, ask to say, hey, we figured out a solution for solving lung cancer. And finally, this dude who's Mark Cuban, he's actually on our wall over here as a, one of those stickers, right? Like. He, he told us, can't you find a local software developer that you trust? One line. That was his first ever communication with us. And so what we did is that we did a very thorough search. We found a software developer that we trust. He's become our CTO. His name is Maneeb Ali. Mm-hmm. And the dude's phenomenal, man. And so you have a businesswoman, you have a, a doctor and a software engineer who've truly partnered up to solve a problem. And we understand each other's language. Wow. So how you were cold emailing billionaires and non-billionaires too, but a lot of billionaires. Yeah. How did you, how were you tracking down their emails? Like how did you find Mark Cuban's email? You go to markcubancompanies.com, you have portfolio companies, you find the email structure that they have and you email 40 emails and then you just, you know, you have a list that you just email every Saturday. That's so cool. And he responded. That's amazing. Nobody that people thought it wasn't him and some handler. I was like, that's Mark Cuban answering. So, wow. Have you met him in person since we did? We went to Dallas. Yep, we did. Um, we actually did a webinar where we brought in three key opinion leaders in lung cancer, three doctors from throughout the country. And we sat down with Mark and the six of us had a conversation just about or seven of us, however many it was about AI and technology and software and how you can really move the needle and, you know, a lot of the problems that are really in healthcare that create obstacles to having better outcomes, to being, you know, more cost effective instead of being as expensive as it is. So it's on our website. He's been great. Yeah, he's been excellent. Wow. That's awesome. And you didn't go on Shark Tank to get uh, connected to him. Shark Tank don't give you the best deals. Just for the rest of everybody out there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So you guys recently raised a pretty, you know, significant amount of money. Did that come as, as a result of knowing Mark Cuban or did that, how did that come about? Mark Cuban helped. Yeah, Mark Cuban <laughs> definitely helped. We, we took a little bit of debt on early in the business. So we raised convertible notes that then we actually paid back all of the debt in 2020, something we're really proud of. Uh, we did it as a function of revenue, uh, but Mark converted into equity. And so that's been really great for us. But in August, I think it was August of last year, we just made the decision that we're at this high growth stage of the business and we really wanted to inject capital. So we set out to find a, a right partner for us. We talked to 50, 60 different VCs and PE Wow. We've never raised money before and we wanted to bring on a partner that was a true partner where we didn't have to sacrifice our mission 
And we wouldn't have to be obligated to a board or the pressures of, you know, their, their fiduciary responsibility, and we could still make the best decisions for patients. So we found Integrity Growth Partners, uh, and they led this round. So we're pretty proud of that. That's amazing. So what, what for people that are listening to this, that are striving to get on the Inc. 500 list, raise money, all that exciting stuff to, to grow, you know, you like, what were your big ahas after going to, I mean, 50 to 60 VCs, like what, you know, like knowing what you know now, how, what would you do all over again? If you had, Chris, we, we went to Menlo park and we went to GC <clears throat> up in uh, Boston, Boston, like maybe 2015 with like $2,000 in revenue or something, but nothing really, no and clue, no proven anything. Yeah. And that was a zombie walk. What we learned really early on is that, you know, you, there's different types of businesses and different approaches, right? And you probably heard of bootstrapping. You've heard of, I don't know if folks have heard of convertible debt. You've heard of convertible equity, VC, growth equity, PE. There's all types of different choices for how you fund your business. Uh, I, the best advice that I would give anybody is I think at first, man, just do it all yourself. Keep it really small, prove it out. And then, you know, see if the idea has legs. And once the experiment shows that you've proven it to be true, then throw money at it and uh, get to a point. Again, what Christine said was the most important thing. Never leverage your mission or your core beliefs. And if you raise too much money or money too early or from the wrong partners, you're going to leverage your mission and core values and you're not going to be successful. And, and, and to me, success is, did you execute against your mission? It's not, did I successfully execute against a 3X underwriting for a financial, you know, for a bank, if that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Early, early on, I mean, our entire focus, once we did that zombie walk in 2015, 2016, and we realized raising capital wasn't what was best for us, we focused on revenue. And as soon as we made that flip, we just, we just excelled. It it became a snowball. We raised revenue. We didn't have to leverage ourselves. We still are the majority owners of the business and we still get to make decisions for the business because we think that's what's best for the business. Total domination is what the goal is for everybody, right? It should be. And if you start this, so George Conradis uh, was one of our you know first investors. I don't know if you know that name, but he was the CEO of Akamai and ran IBM for you know a, a portion of IBM for about 30 years, was going to become the CEO of IBM, but ended up going to Akamai. And he told us, like in day one, if you start a business for acquisition, you're an effing idiot. <laughs> and so we took that to heart. And it's been about total domination since day one. And that suited us really well, Chris. So the, the mobile app you created, that was 2015? Was that the MVP product? That was, uh, I mean, it was, it was, I wouldn't call it an MVP product. It was more of a, uh, just a solution for my clinic is what I would okay. call it. And that was long, it's called Lung Direct. Is that what I read? So the app was originally called the Nodule Project. And it okay. was actually an app to help doctors assess risk for patients with a pulmonary nodule. So 
with a, a spot on your lung, it's really hard to know what you should do next without doing too many interventions or too few interventions. And so it's, it was a Bayesian model. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That basically took a bunch of data, you throw it together. And if somebody fit into a certain risk category, you should do X. And if somebody didn't have that, then you should not do X um, just to keep it simple. And so that was really what that uh, app is. And we still have it today. It's just been rebranded now to the, the Eon EPM. Okay. Would you say that's like the first iteration of what you guys ended up building? The first iteration of what we ended up building was uh, came actually a little bit later when, so in my own clinic, I had this problem, right? And I wanted to identify all the patients, every single patient who had a specific abnormality that's a spot on your lung that could become cancer. And I asked the radiologist to say, could you put those patients when you run by them into a folder or could you flag it for me? in my office. And it became overwhelming. I was using sticky pads, Excel sheets, and my whole practice couldn't operate because we had so many of these abnormalities that the radiologists were flagging. I went out there looking for a solution. There was none. And then we created a solution in my own clinic to manage all of these abnormalities and do exactly what EPM does today. It, I think I, I don't, I want you to tell me what this statistic is, um, but it's a pretty staggering statistic of how many people die from lung cancer because they found out about it too late. What, what are those numbers? Yeah, close so, to 90%. Uh, so, you know, really it's depending on the stage, right? But overall, uh, you know, about 20% of folks survive lung cancer after five years, which means that 80% of those aren't going to make it past five years. If you're diagnosed late, it's almost a certain death sentence where, you know, over 90% of those folks aren't going to be living after five years. Just out of curiosity, what do they do if they see a spot on your lungs in a CT scan? Do they do a biopsy? What's that look like? So it depends. It depends on the size of the spot. It depends on some risk factors. It depends on your age. So a lot of times they'll just watch it. They'll do another CT scan in three months or six months or 12 months, or they'll do a procedure where they go in through your airways and they go in and they can biopsy it. It's like a polyp, right? So in, in, if you have colonoscopy, you see a polyp, you can go just take it out, right? Because you're there and you just, you know, you snap the polyp out and you see whether it's cancer or not. Guess what? You can't do that with lung nodules, right? So some of them aren't cancer, some of them are cancer. And so unfortunately we can't just go in and snatch them all. So we don't biopsy them all. We watch them and like she said, if it grows, then you biopsy. And then hopefully you have the option for surgery. If you don't, then you go to chemotherapy or, radi or radiation therapy. So the, the bigger problem though, is that these spots go unfollowed. They might be found on a CT and then nothing happens for years. And with lung cancer, you don't really have signs or symptoms of lung cancer until it's a late stage, which means it's spread throughout both lungs and into other parts of your body. And that's, you start like coughing up blood and being, having shortness of breath. But when you have early stage lung cancer, you don't have any of those symptoms. And unlike, you know, breast screening or colon cancer screening, like Aki's talking about where you turn a certain age and everybody gets screened. It's not like that for lung cancer. There's a high risk population that is eligible to be screened, 
but that's the mi minority of the population. And even that eligible population doesn't have those screening tests. Uh, so that's why we think when you find an incidental on any exam for any person, whether your age or your risk, when you capture those patients and you track them to make sure they have those follow-up exams, that's when you can start to diagnose lung cancer at an earlier stage. Interesting. What, uh, just out of curiosity, what do you guys charge the hospital for this? Like what, like if someone's watching this right now, they run a hospital. They're like, wow, I want to get this tomorrow. It depends on the size of, of the hospital, and, you know, outpatient radiology imaging centers. It's anywhere from, you know, 10,000 to 100,000, depending on the effort setup, configuration and scope of what we're doing. Some folks only have us listen for lung nodules or some folks only have us help them with lung cancer screens. Others have us, you know, listening to all their records for all types of abnormalities. Um, so it just depends on what the scope is of the project. But when it comes to what we make hospitals, you, you talked about it in yeah, in, increasing in, EBITDA. EBITDA. Yeah. It's exponential. It's it's a yeah. What what like? Do you have case studies on that? Like you know, you someone. I mean, Christine. I'm imagining you. I walk in the hospital. I'm like, look, here's the dotted line. You sign here. You're gonna pay me hundred thousand. I'm gonna get you ten million in EBITDA. You know, uh, we'll get this started tomorrow. Is it like what do those case studies look like? It should be that easy. Um, we actually have one on our website too. It's it's kind of buried. You have to scroll all the way to the bottom, but you can see. Uh, but it's significant. And, and it's not because we're driving up the cost of healthcare. We're capturing these patients and the appropriate next step is happening for those patients to receive that. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, Chris, that our, our mission is make patients healthier and healthcare affordable. And the way you know that healthcare, uh, it, it costs too much is if you look at it, the United States spends more than any developed country. However, we don't rank first, we rank towards the bottom. So Americans don't understand and healthcare in the US doesn't understand what actually brings true value, what actually works and what the cost of all these interventions, the devices, the technology, we don't understand what that should cost because you know we don't have good data to truly get feedback of like, hey, listen, I paid five hundred dollars for this, but I, you know, it only got two dollars worth of value. So in your example, I mean, somebody, you know, because they find out about it earlier, now they're going to save their patient's going to save a couple hundred thousand dollars That's being right. in late stage, you know, the cancer treatments. Companies, yeah. So, so I mean, it's a win. It's a win for the patient, win for the customer. The hospital makes some more money because they get it solved earlier. A lot of people listening to this right now are going to be wondering, how do they invest in Eon? <laughs> well, we, it's been hard. Are you, take, are you taking on any more money? No, we we uh, we took on this money to where we don't have to uh, uh, raise any more money in the future. And we're going to aggressively deploy this and capture more market quickly and totally dominate. Like we're, we, we operate as a function of revenue and have done that through our course of history. We are up against very well capitalized competitors who are confusing the market. And so one of the biggest impetuses for us to take on the money was to decrease the risk that these competitors who were throwing enormous amounts of money to conflict and confuse the market, to bring clarity to the market, and, and make our snowball bigger and make it grow faster over the next 24 months. How do y'all plan to, I think I read 26 million. How do y'all plan to deploy that? 16. 16 million. Uh, you 
Aki mentioned, we've been undercapitalized as a function of revenue. We run really lean. A lot of our team, they will all wear a ton of different hats. And so we're really being strategic and deploying that capital for new hires, some department heads that we haven't had the luxury of having before, just more team members. We're going to invest heavily into our data science team, our sales team, our marketing team. It's talent, Chris, right? Yeah. Talent. And people, you know, here's the biggest advantage, right? From us to another company, we learn faster. Not just me, not just her. Everybody here learns faster. The rate of learning at Eon is faster than any other company. And that's how we win. doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. We have a good project with an excellent mission that's not leveraged. We have the capability to execute against our mission as opposed to our competitors who leverage themselves financially out of the ability to execute against their mission. And then secondarily, we have the capability to execute against solving a true problem that's costing hospitals money and you know, costing patient outcomes. It's, it's, a, it's an easy proposition for, for hospitals to anchor to. You mentioned um, 400 plus hospitals. What's the addressable market? How many hospitals total are there in the U.S.? 5,500, 6,000. So okay. over 5% of, you know, acute care hospitals are, are on yeah. I mean, and you mentioned the EHRs earlier on. There's a couple really large ones, but they have 28%, 30% of the market. So when you think about what we've done uh, with the product that we're offering, it's pretty significant. And we think that that's going to double over the next year or two. So you guys going to get matching jets with uh, Mark Cuban when you sell for multi-billion dollars? I told that dude, he came to Denver. I feel dumb. I was like, hey, I'll pick you up at the airport. And he's like, no thanks. <laughs> I thought he needed a ride, man. He he came to Denver for startup week a few years ago and did a big like presentation and was nice enough to get us tickets. And we sat in the front row and it was really cool. But yeah, but he didn't want to ride in, in, in <laughs> the car. So. Hey, man, you're a nice guy. I would have said the same thing. That's so cool. And you guys are out of Denver, right? That's right. Cool. Um, so for anybody listening to this in the hospital industry or just want to learn more about this, is it eonhealth.com? Is that the best website for them to go check out? That's right. Cool. Well, uh, guys, congratulations on your success. Y'all both have an unbelievable story. And I've, I've interviewed, you know, a lot of the people that have won the, you know, the top 500, 500, you know, fast growing private health companies over the past two years. And um, this is probably one of the coolest stories of all the folks I've, I've met with because, you know, you're, you're helping the human race, you're helping hospitals, you're helping insurance companies, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody would have ever thought that would be possible. So I hope we stay connected because I, I want to see y'all's matching G5s or G6s <laughs> or whatever kind of jet you end up getting one day when this goes public and you're both billionaires. And. That's an Aki dream for sure. We'll see. I just I tell you what, man, like, we have this joke that we're going to uh, party with Justin Bieber in Monaco. We'll see if that ever happens, though. Oh, man. Hey, I'll be right there with you. Love <laughs> Monaco, man. Love Monaco. Guys, thanks so much for I appreciate y'all being on the show. Um, for people tuning in, um, we'll put in the show notes information to reach out to um, Aki and Christine. They've got incredible bios, amazing story, and uh, you know, just amazing what you guys are doing. Congratulations on all your success. 
Again, anybody tuning in, be sure to hit that subscribe button and um, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. And thanks for having us, Thanks, man. Chris. See you.